Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The status of migrants and the future of immigration policy are familiar subjects in national headlines. Politicians are making pilgrimage to Texas to hold press conferences near the border. States are busing migrants to other states, and in the St. Louis region, some local governments are welcoming migrants, while others are moving to keep them out. It can be easy to see the subject through that lens, as primarily about politics and a situation or crisis that only governments are supposed to be dealing with. Today, our show is approaching it from a different angle. Later this hour, we'll meet some of the folks in St. Louis trying to meet the needs of foreign-born people who are building new lives in the local area. But first, we're going to get to know two asylum seekers who came to St. Louis from Belize two years ago. Their names are Carla Meraz and Juan Carlos Lopez. Last month, they sat down for an interview with St. Louis Public Radio interim digital editor, Brian Munoz. And Brian joins us now. Brian, welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you for having me. Brian, tell us a little bit about Carla and Juan. They came here from Belize, fleeing danger in that country. What is it that they told you about their journey and coming to St. Louis? Thank you, Elaine. So Juan Carlos and Carla have two daughters, Esther, who's eight, and Kimberly, who's five. And as you mentioned, they came to the United States from Belize City in the last couple of years. Kimberly's your typical curious five-year-old, and Juan Carlos says, well, Esther may be a little at the age, she's big in personality. So part of their journey, I think, you know, is really important to establish. Um, when Esther was seven or eight months old, they found out that she had a degenerative bone condition in her knees. And, you know, that just made it really difficult, you know, when your child is one of the ones going through something like that. And the reality that they explained to me is the medical system in Belize doesn't have the same resources than the medical system here in the United States. And when it does, you know, the price is out of people's means, that is. So when they found out about her diagnosis, they started knocking on doors, trying to find ways to get her help. And after several referrals, the family was put in touch with a series of nonprofit groups who eventually got the family um, some help here in St. Louis. Um, and Esther was able to get orthopedic care at Shriners Hospital in St. Louis. And what was it that Carla told you about her deciding to leave? When Carla's family finally found out about what was going to happen with Esther and her surgery, uh, they were elated, of course, you know, finally being able to get the orthopedic care that she needed. But there was a problem. The organizations that were helping them were only able to support one parent being here in the United States. Al ver la situación de ella, porque necesitaba de su madre, porque mi esposo tenía que vestirla. Carla tells me she had to come to the United States to find her daughter and her husband. She knew roughly where they were, but she couldn't really be with them. So she decided that despite the difficulties that, you know, she would face and the difficulties that her husband was facing for caring, you know, with a sick child, she needed to be the one to make the journey. So she did, and it was more than 3,000 miles with her youngest daughter, who was only four at the time, and made it from Belize City all the way to the United States-Mexico border and presented herself to immigration officials. You know, 
overall, from what she explained, it was a really difficult time just not being able to keep track of time, you know, just trying to keep her family in mind. But of course, that doesn't come without some strong emotions. Se siente algo muy difícil, una impotencia, porque uno como madre quiere estar ahí al lado de su hijo para apoyarlo en lo que... Carla said she felt hopeless because she couldn't be next to her daughter who needed her there with her. But in addition to trying to keep their family together, overall, Carla explains that their family was fleeing things like violence and bullies. She says in one instance, Juan Carlos was assaulted on the street and came close to dying. You know, that combined with better opportunities overall in her family here in St. Louis made the trip worth the risk. Mm-hmm. Now, when they arrived, they had a lot of needs, obviously. I mean, what was it that proved most difficult? So Juan Carlos and Carla, like many immigrants, you know, people that are coming to the United States for the first time, they had just a myriad of things that they were trying to deal with and navigate. And a lot of them aren't uncommon. They're things like basic communication, just being able to function as a human being on the day-to-day, you know, finding net medical care and navigating the legal process. Juan Carlos detailed his struggles to find housing for their family. The asylum case put them in a really challenging legal position, and it made other things really hard too, like finding a job or just being able to provide basic services for his family. Nosotros empezamos, bueno, directamente yo empecé a luchar primero porque yo es el que empecé a trabajar, entonces... Juan Carlos says it can be difficult because an employer will sometimes ask you to present a passport or similar types of documents to be able to work, or you need certain documents to fill out for a rental contract or things of that nature. A lot of the things that I think as American citizens, we take for granted on day to day. And even, you know, folks that are new to St. Louis have, you know, problems. How do I pay my electric bill? Or how do I do this? Or how do I do that? You know, but it's that navigating of the everyday services that seems to be a sticking point. And advocates really emphasize that, you know, as something that people forget about. Mm -hmm. So these troubles that they have had with finding work, supporting family, having a a place to stay, and then all of these other basics, as you mentioned, like means of communication, these are all challenges. What sorts of services, if they have been able to get help with some of those things, what kinds of services remain difficult to secure for folks like Carla and Juan Carlos? Carla says language and accessing readily available medical care for her and her family are some of the biggest hurdles that she's faced so far. A mí se me dificulta mucho con el idioma, bastante difícil. Eh, también con con la salud, para mí se me ha hecho muy Carla difícil. tells me that she's waited at times for months in order to try to get a call back from a doctor, someone that's being a, that would be able to see them and, you know, on top of the wait times, it's finding somebody that understands their family's background and is able to communicate in their own language. I think a lot of times as I've spoken with immigrants, you know, over the years, just being able to share, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing can be a challenge. Uh, so that's something that, you know, she continues to kind of work through. But overall, despite the challenges, Carla and Juan Carlos say that they're thankful now they're working through their asylum case and are doing better than what they were before, you know, just now that they're able to be together and hopefully building their lives here in St. Louis. And how are they doing right now um, insofar as those um, those basics that they have needed? Are they in a, a better place than when they started their journey? 
I believe so from what they expressed. You know, they've been in touch with several providers here in St. Louis who have been doing a lot of work, you know, in terms of helping people that are seeking asylum. And a lot of times, you know, there's focus on the population who is here through the asylum process and whatnot, but there is also a population who is not in the United States legally, as the definition would go, and there are people that are still in our community, and while they may be invisible, you know, providers are trying to find ways to support them as well. Brian Munoz is St. Louis Public Radio's interim digital editor. He interviewed Carla Meraz and her husband, Juan Carlos Lopez, last month. Brian, thank you for joining us and for your work in translation and interpretation of your interview with those guests. Thank you. St. Louis is a city of immigrants. From Germans who came in the mid-1800s to Bosnians who arrived in the wake of war in the 1990s and early aughts, our region's history and growth has long been tied to people who've moved here seeking a better life. Perhaps it goes without saying that making that life comes with immense challenges. That continues to be true for more recent immigrants, which includes those from Somalia, Bhutan, Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Latin America. And getting to St. Louis is not the end of their journey. It rather marks the start of another, one that involves a coalition of different groups that provide immigrants with vital resources for food, housing, transportation, and language. It's a big and critical task with challenges that are part of the work no matter the time. Here to talk about present realities for service providers who work with immigrants in St. Louis, I'm joined by three guests who face those struggles each day. On this panel, we have Carlos Ruiz Martinez, Director of Client Support Services at the MICA Project. And from LifeWise STL, we have Sarah Caldera Wimmer, Director of Emotional and Physical Wellness. And lastly, we have Chris Wolentik. She is an immigration attorney with St. Francis Community Services, which is a ministry of Catholic Charities. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Now, Carlos, all of your organizations... Um, they provide services to immigrants in different ways. But what are some of the circumstances that bring immigrants here? And where are they coming from? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, immigrants are coming to St. Louis from all over the world. Um, I think the folks that uh, who we most see um, are at our agencies are immigrants from different parts of Latin America. Folks are coming from a lot of people from Colombia, Venezuela, um, Haiti, um, Central America, the Northern Triangle, um, and all over the world mm -hmm. uh, as well. So I think it's important to account um, for the fact that the, yes, they are coming through the southern border, but they're coming not just from Mexico, but rather from all parts of Latin America. Mm -hmm. And we have seen people from Afghanistan as well starting to come across our southern borders. Wow. So it's not just Latin America. Mm-hmm. Now, Sarah, I understand that at LifeWise STL, you're focused on immigrants who have been here longer term, people who've spent decades living here. What is different about folks in that situation compared with people who have just arrived? That's a great question. Um, our arc of service is over 125 years. We actually started as a settlement house to help immigrants kind of get connected to services. Um, so we've seen lots of different populations. One of those in the last two decades have been more people from Mexico um, that are very, much more established. They have families with little and then older children. Um, 
And we've also seen more um, immigrants from Honduras, further south, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Colombia. Mm-hmm. Now, the the point of status, I think, is something that's really important to talk about here. Um, and we have used the term refugee. That's just one among many. Other terms are asylum seekers, migrants, undocumented. Chris, can you help us to understand these terms and how they apply to you know different groups of people you are helping? Yeah, so your status just determines your um, ability to stay in this country. It looks at what your benefit, what benefits you might be eligible for. And there's people move from status to status. It's not necessarily a permanent thing. We see people who go through the asylum process, they come as an asylum seeker, and then they are eventually granted asylum, can be then become a lawful permanent resident and eventually a citizen. So it's a process, um, but it moves and it just really is important to understand that there's many different statuses. It's not just a refugees and immigrants. People are seeking statuses while they're both in the United States or they're coming with statuses here. Mm-hmm. And that's and our laws allow for that. And so these terms are not exclusive then. There can be one or there can be more than one that applies to a person. Yes. And what is the most common sort of situation wherein that is the case? So for our, our new arrivals, people are mostly coming without any status and they become asylum seekers as they're looking for asylum. They're filing their applications and beginning that process. And during that process, they can become a, a work permit um, holder and can and be able to work here lawfully. And then they would eventually, through their court cases or through USCIS, apply for their, actually be interviewed for their asylum. Mm-hmm. And one of the terms that we do hear a lot is the term illegal immigrant. I mean, how accurate is that? I don't like that word. I don't believe that any person is illegal. I think that they are undocumented. They're here without any paperwork. That doesn't mean they're going to stay that way. There are many different ways to obtain status in the United States. It's not a guarantee for anybody, but it is something that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we don't want to use that word that's just um, dehumanizing, in my opinion. Um, Earlier in the program, we heard from Juan and Carla. They fled violence in their home country, and once they got here, had to deal with some very serious medical issues. Sarah, is that a a typical experience, not only for those who've newly arrived, but those who've been in the country for quite some time? Yes, um, because as you mentioned, moving and migrating causes a lot of stress, and it also causes a lot of urgency around that move. Like that is the top priority for a family, so all other needs will come second. So you often do see people that have arrived, they've been here in the U.S. for a month, a year, but because of the urgent situation um, and the stress of getting to know a new community and resources, all other needs have kind of been put to the bottom, and then as they start to settle in and start to connect to the community, they're able to then attend to what we would consider pretty major medical issues, um, um, health care, child care, work, um, emotional um, emotional and physical safety. Mm-hmm. Carlos, what has been your experience around that? Um, again, some of what we heard from Carla and Juan and fleeing violence and how much that is a part of what brings people to St. Louis? 
Yeah. So I think that um, people, when people leave their countries, I think it's important to remember that um, two things that we need to hold together at once. One, each story of migration is unique and individualized. And at the same time, there are sociological and historical patterns, right, that lead to migrations. Um, but I think it's also important for us to remember that a lot of folks don't leave their country fashioning themselves as asylum seekers or even knowing that they're embarking or will embark in this very specific legal process. A lot of times people are just fleeing a situation of imminent um, danger or sometimes just economic need, um, which is something that the asylum process is not necessarily friendly towards. And this is more into Chris's territory, but I think it's important for us to, to consider that as well. Mm-hmm. And Chris, what, what of that that he has mentioned there? When, they, when people come to the United States, they don't necessarily understand that they're going to be, be placed into removal proceedings, face deportation, um, and have to go through a long process. A lot of people want, or want to do, apply for something that they're eligible for. They want to find a way to stay here lawfully, but they don't understand the hurdles of it. They don't under, necessarily understand all the complications, and immigration law can be very difficult. It's very specific what you have to prove. Uh, and it makes it difficult for people to move, maneuver on their own, especially when they're trying to get s- stabilized in this country, if they're moving from place to place and trying to make sure they know where their courts are, or what the dates of their courts. They want to follow the process, but it's also can be difficult when they don't understand the language barriers and all the requirements that must go through. We need to take a quick break. But we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation about immigration services in St. Louis with Carlos Ruiz Martinez, Chris Wolantic, and Sarah Caldera Wimmer. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Welcome back. Let's talk about some of the specific services that immigrants need when they come here. Um, One person who has needed some help is Estefany Aguilar. And Estefany was born in Mexico, and when she was five years old, her family migrated to the United States. So she is undocumented, and she described the challenges facing her family in St. Louis. When it comes to like government services, um, not having health care, Medicaid, uh, things like that. Another challenge uh, that I had um, growing up was probably translating for my family. I feel like that one was really rough with me. Um, Coming here at five years old, you know, it's a really dramatic change because you don't know the language, you don't know the people, you don't know how how everyone is. Getting to clinics and like reading document papers, not knowing the language, and also like being an ESOL student at a really young age, you're just confused with all these words. Um, I feel like there was a lot of pressure, pressure to me, like as a kid. Because my mom would get mad at me sometimes because she would be like, oh, like, what does this say? And I'd be like, mom, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what this means. And she would just be like, would you just try? That was Estefany Aguilar, an undocumented immigrant from St. Louis. 
Carlos, does Estefani's experience resonate at all with you? Is it familiar? It is. I think a lot of the challenges that Stephanie is describing map on to um, what a lot of the folks who we work with are facing. But I think one thing that I really value about Stephanie's narrative um, is that she grew up in St. Louis, right? Whereas we are, tend to focus on new arrivals, Stephanie is somebody who came to the St. Louis region um, as a child, grew up here, um, did not have the opportunity to apply for asylum, and has in some ways been, not in some ways, has been left out of the conversations that we tend to have um, today, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about immigration, right, um, we tend to uh, think about immigrants as either not here or um, soon to be coming. This is either a borderlands issue or an issue for a city like New York or Chicago or LA and not St. Louis. And when we do think to, uh, we start to think about immigration in St. Louis, we tend to think about like, oh, we should be prepared in, if, in case we are facing a, uh, a crisis like other cities, right? But I think what that misses is the fact that immigrants have been calling St. Louis home for many, many um, years, and not just immigrants generically, but immigrants that are enmeshed in complex legal matters or are excluded from the immigration system altogether. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, yeah. I just wanted to express a, quite a bit of compassion to Stephanie, especially as a child. Um, we see this often, um, where children are are the burden of navigating really complex adult systems is placed on children with limited knowledge and limited language, but they have more language than their parents. Um, and I think that Carlos mentioned we're not one of the bigger cities. We're certainly not further south, with a lot of Spanish-speaking providers. Um, so we tend in the St. Louis region to place a lot of pressure on children um, and families when we don't provide interpreters, when we don't provide um, information in Spanish or whatever the preferred language might be or is needed. Um, and also that has impact on children. Those being being thrust into adult situations, medical decisions, legal decisions at the age of six, seven, ten, that, that has lasting impacts on how children, um, how they grow up, how they see the world. And that is also where we are stepping in with like second generation immigrants to provide emotional support, therapy, um, how to kind of process really intense situations you went to it through as a child. Mm-hmm. And Chris, you were nodding as you were, as we were hearing from Carlos and Sarah. What have you seen uh, when it comes to those language challenges, especially when it comes to legal language that's hard enough for somebody who is a native speaker. Absolutely. And that's where people often miss court dates because they didn't understand. They didn't understand documents they've received in the mail, so they miss replying to their ap- in applications when they're applying for a benefit. They don't understand, and they're relying on children to do that. And I've heard that story numerous times from our clients that they were helping their parents. But that's one thing that's really important with language access and something that a lot of us are advocating for. And we sometimes have to advocate with different agencies and make the phone calls with our clients um, beyond what our legal their legal needs are just to get them the benefits they need and to make sure that they have interpreters available. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephanie mentions that her family can't get Medicaid. What is the practical impact of that on families like hers, Sarah? 
Um, well, what you typically would see are um, smaller medical issues being ignored for longer periods of time because there's no access to um, primary health care. So small things that are small then um, multiply and, and become larger issues, often um, hospital visits that are much larger bills, which put a strain on the family and also on the hospital system. Um, so you see a lot less preventative care. Mm-hmm. And what are the services that your organizations, each of you, what medical services do uh, do people get through your organization, Carlos? So we don't provide um, direct medical services. Um, our bread and butter, if you will, is immigration legal services. And then my department, we provide comprehensive case management for uh, the folks that are already um, receiving legal services. Um, but where we do intersect with uh, the healthcare system writ large, right, is um, a lot of times people find themselves in the hospital because of an accident or, you know, a, a another condition, right, and they're receiving these massive um, bills, right, um, that are just exorbitant and there's a shock of how am I going to be able to um, pay for this. And so some of that, what we do is we uh, support folks as they go through the financial uh, assistance uh, process at area hospitals, um, which can also be kind of convoluted. Um, and if you don't speak the language, right, it's hard to access folks within the hospitals to help guide through guide you through that. Um, we also refer to federally qualified health clinics here in the city. But again, going back to Sarah's point, it's kind of uh, bringing together resources to make it work in, in the immediate um, moment, right? Um, but it's a radically different experience. For example, when I go to the doctor and my primary care provider emphasizes preventative care, right? That's not the same relationship that they have with the healthcare system sure. because they're excluded for that from that and don't have access to that. Mm-hmm. So you all are part of a a coalition of providers. Tell us a bit about how this coalition works together, Sarah. Yeah, um, I think. There, there are multiple coalitions um, of immigrant service providers. Um, one of those that is really robust is the Immigrant Service Provider Network, um, which focuses on service provision. Um, but I think what's important to highlight here is that there is a really robust ecosystem of service providers and agencies that are working together, sometimes in more formal ways, such as with ISPN, and other times in more informal ways, um, responding to um, needs as they arise. Um, And we have really sought to seek each other out because obviously none of our agencies can be all of what one person needs or Mm -hmm. all of what anybody needs, right? So we all have our limitations um, through funding, through capacity, through um, language. So we have really leaned on each other um, to fill holes and gaps. Obviously, there are still holes and gaps we cannot fill. Um, But the way this comes up at LifeWise often is, um, I think it's been mentioned that word of mouth is like probably our number one marketing tool. And um, on a daily basis, somebody brings in a friend or somebody who needs a service. And um, oftentimes that is not something that we provide at LifeWise, but that they know that this... um, that this is a safe place to bring up this need. And um, what we can do then is we can, um, 
you know, I can call Carlos, I can call Chris, I can call or email a, a host of other people to see, to help problem solve mm-hmm. and to see, like, is this something that we can do? Do you know anything about this? Sometimes there are um, issues that I have never experienced before. I think we do a really great job of supporting each other mm-hmm. and, and filling in where one agency leaves off. We're talking today about immigration in St. Louis and how a coalition of providers are helping asylum seekers and undocumented immigrants build new lives here. I'm joined by Carlos Ruiz Martinez, Director of Client Support Services at the MICA Project. We also have Sarah Caldera Wimmer, Director of Emotional and Physical Wellness with LifeWise STL, and Chris Wolentik. She is an immigration attorney with St. Francis Community Services. Chris, when have you sent people in in Sarah's direction to LifeWise STL? Uh, absolutely. I've done it numerous times when I'm looking for different programming, uh, mental health services. St. Francis does have a mental health services as well, um, bilingual therapist. But there's the need is so great, we can't always fill it. So we are sending people. We're working with similar clients. They are sending clients that they come across that have legal needs to us and vice versa, different services when they need different supports, some other groups we've been really um, lucky to be able to refer clients to. Mm-hmm. So you all do not do everything at your respective organizations, but it sounds like you need to know where everything is. So just kind of for context, how many folks are there working on a, a full-time basis at the MICA project, Carlos? I want to say 15 at the moment. I okay. hope my bosses aren't listening and I get oh, their no, number wrong. No. <laughs> um, but I believe uh, between 15 and 16. And, and yeah, we uh, serve around uh, 1,000 families. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think that's important to highlight because it's you know between 800 and 1,000 cases, right? But those cases are complex and, 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 and shifting, and those cases reflect um, families, right? Um, not just individuals. Mm-hmm. Chris, and at St. Francis Community Services, with immigration like legal sorts of issues, what are we looking at as far as staffing? So at Im- in our legal department, there's four of us full-time staff. Um, but we also are lucky with the Ministries of St. Francis that we have the Immigration Services Agency as well that specifically does social services, just case management, does um, mental health services, has an after-school program, a clinic with the Vietnamese population. Um, so we have different services. There's probably I, at least 10 staff there. Um, so, but it's, again, none of our agencies are huge. We don't have hundreds and hundreds of people, but we are doing as much as we can. Right, right. LifeWise STL, with the emotional and mental health needs, because that has come up a couple of times, what is it that you are seeing there and that, um, that the staff there are dealing most with? That is a great question. I don't know that I have one satisfying answer. Um, we do see a couple patterns um, and places we focus. Our, our staff of seven um, therapists are all bilingual. So we do, even though LifeWise as a whole serves anybody, you do not have to be foreign born to receive services at LifeWise. But because of the bilingual nature of our staff, we do see quite a bit of foreign born because um, we can do therapy in Spanish. But it, it depends. Back to your question, um, we work with Carlos and Chris. We do a lot of mental health evaluations, and those are needed with the asylum case. So those are a little bit more acute in nature. They're very short term. We write um, 
a letter, we do an evaluation, and we can testify. Um, what we hope is that kind of what I spoke to earlier, like kind of the hierarchy of needs, like that is the, the pressing need in that moment. Um, when we ask a client to kind of open up about their trauma and how it impacts their their legal case, but what we don't want to do is just like then send them on their way. What we hope is that after we've had that conversation, then that person would feel empowered or interested or open to receiving therapy if that's something that they're interested in to then process some of that trauma. Um, so we also offer ongoing um individual therapy. We've also worked with MICA Project in the past to do, um, we had a support group for um, asylum seekers. Um, We really are open to helping people process their experience um, in a way that feels safe for them. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of pressure on every member of the family. And Sarah, I believe you had mentioned um, second generation, and Carlos, you did as well. So there's, you know, quite a lot of pressure then that these families are dealing with. And much of it does fall on kids, which we've talked about. And Stephanie Aguilar talked about what it was like to realize what it would mean to be undocumented and how that would impact her education. When I was in middle school, I thought like I was any other kid. I thought I could get a driver's license. I thought I could go to college. I thought I could apply for FAFSA. I thought, you know, I could do like, I could do anything a U.S. citizen could do. So my mom brought up the news that I couldn't get a driver's license. I didn't, I can't work. And it broke my heart. Ever since my mom told me that, I had the fear of getting rejected by like schools. When it came to junior year, I... I had my mindset. I wanted to do nursing. I wanted to go to college. And then someone, people around me started telling me that I couldn't go to college. They told me that because of my status, I couldn't study and I couldn't become anybody. And that I was just going to have to work at cleaning houses or doing construction. And that, again, was Stephanie Aguilar. Now, I should note that Stephanie did not give up. She got a scholarship, and she's now in college in Delaware. Carlos, in your experience with the people that you have worked with in St. Louis, but also in other parts of the country, um, is that a a common concern? Um, And if so, how do young people typically deal with that? Yeah, so um, Stephanie's uh, story is really valuable, I think, for the St. Louis community because it highlights um, many things that um, folks in her situation go through. So, um, yes, so Stephanie is a brilliant student, right, an exceptional student who received a very prestigious scholarship and is now at the University of Delaware. Um, And also that decision and that success is wrapped up in a uh, context of um, in in, in Missouri, had she wanted to be in Missouri, right, um, she would have had to pay um, international student rates at any public university, including uh, community colleges, which was incredibly uh, prohibitive for her and her family, going back to the context of lack of work authorization, right, and all of the other exclusions, right? So even her success story, which is incredibly valuable and amazing for her, 
even that reflects some of the gaps that include that 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 are part of the St. Louis region, right? And that lack of tuition equity and that act lack of access to educational opportunities Mm -hmm. um, here. And so I think when we only cling to the fact that she is able to be in school at the University of Delaware, we might miss the fact that there are um, ongoing exclusions in the state of Missouri for Mm -hmm. folks to be able to access education. Sarah, with the, the work that LifeWise STL does with children of immigrants, is what a Stephanie has experienced, is that representative? I mean, what is the scope of, of needs of the children of immigrants? Um, yeah, again, it's it's so vast. It's hard to put in any one um, even sentence. Um, there are so many families that are mixed status. So I don't know Stephanie, but it's highly possible that she might have um, brothers or sisters that are documented that will have a completely different experience than her. So, so much will come up for each individual family, just depending on when they arrived, how they arrived, who else is in the family. So it's quite nuanced in helping children um, navigate their their opportunities, what narrative they're being told at school, how they can interact and interface with that narrative, how they can use it, how they'll have to discard it completely, because as Carlos mentioned, they won't be able to probably afford going to college in um, Missouri. And we do like to tell kids that you should shoot for college, Mm -hmm. right? And so like, again, having to be Stephanie's mother to tell her, like, at what point do you you have that conversation with your child to be like, this actually may not be on the table for you. Mm-hmm. And we see we see this all the time. Um, parents don't know how to have the conversation. They don't know how to tell people. Some kids know from the very beginning. Others find out in somewhat traumatic ways, as it sounded like Stephanie did, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just a very vast amount of experiences that a family might have. And um, But to your point, it's important that um, we as social service providers and agencies can kind of help guide parents and guide families and guide youth through those 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 really hard conversations, those really hard decisions, those really hard paths, um, the best way and the most um, trauma informed way that we can um, to try to help them. Yeah, make decisions for their lives that are going to work for them. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation about immigration services in St. Louis with Carlos Ruiz Martinez, Chris Wolentic, and Sarah Caldera Wimmer. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. A large part of the reason we're having this conversation today pertains to current and local events. In November, the St. Charles County Council considered a resolution to, quote, strongly oppose the importation of illegal immigrants into the region, unquote. This was a reaction to a proposal to bring Latin American immigrants now in Chicago to the St. Louis region. Now, the council ultimately did not vote on the resolution, but it sparked a lot of attention to and criticism of 
how this region is serving its immigrant population. Carlos, what was your takeaway from what St. Charles County did? Yeah, so I um, had been following um, the resolution when it was first introduced and when people were talking about it. Um, And I was there when um, the St. Charles County Council um, voted um, and it did not go through. And my takeaway and the take of, of takeaway of uh, a lot of folks who I work with was a frustration about the discourse. I think we got we have to look a little bit beyond just the resolution because yes, certainly um, St. Charles's uh, proposed resolution was xenophobic, um, racist, and anti-immigrant. But I was equally troubled by the uh, many of the arguments pushing back against St. Charles because they hinged on the quote-unquote legality of the folks who were being brought. And so some of the counter-arguments to St. Charles were were saying, no, 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 these are legal immigrants. They are okay, right? And that is a really harmful narrative. I also think that um, this legal-illegal narrative, right, documented-undocumented narrative, um, is harmful because it ignores the fact that immigration policy and those who are deemed okay, right, are giving maybe a stamp of approval by the U.S. government, right, that that reflects foreign policy interests, economic interests, right, and not the inherent human dignity of of the folks who we are working alongside and, and talking about. And the Chicago plan is really the thing, the specific proposal that led to St. Charles County's resolution. And in short, I mean, there are thousands of migrants in Chicago, and Chicago does not have the resources to help them. In October, STLPR reported that the International Institute of St. Louis was seeking partnerships and resources to resettle some of those migrants in St. Louis. And one of the stated reasons for this plan uh, is bolstering St. Louis's workforce, and another is stemming its population decline, and we've talked about those things on this show. Sarah, how would this plan, the Chicago plan, affect LifeWise STL, and then how would it affect the coalition that you currently work with? I spoke to the ecosystem that we have earlier, um, and you also spoke to the fact that there are already quite a few um, immigrants and foreign-born here in St. Louis, that whether they've been here for a generation or five years or 10 years. Um, and our ecosystem is at capacity and beyond um, with all of the ways that have been referenced in this program of ways people continue to arrive, continue to seek to settle in St. Louis and um, create a life here. There are supports that are needed and um, as it is now, our ecosystem is at its capacity, and we do still have like a lot of gaps and holes that we need support in. Um, so when we think about the Chicago plan, obviously it's heartbreaking um, to think that there are that many people that need quite a bit of intense and um, immediate services. And of course, everybody here at this table and in our community wants to rise that challenge. Um, we we also are having conversations about what does that look like? How do we um, use our resources in a responsible way to help 
large numbers of newly arrived people while not abandoning those that are already here. Mm-hmm. Chris? And, and I would say that as people come, they they start with the job, they may have something, but things change in people's lives all, every day. So people that may not have direct needs in their first year in St. Louis may have more needs in the years to come, and those are where we're going to really start to see as people want to change their statuses, as they have health care issues, as they have different needs come up with children, those are where we'll really start to see from that specific program where we'll start to see the change. Mm -hmm. And Carlos, you know, Chicago says that it doesn't have the resources to help these immigrants. I mean, does St. Louis have the resources? So... I want to reframe that question a bit in the sense of, uh, you know, if if I were just to answer, um, I would say no. But I think that's the easy way out for um, us and for the St. Louis community. Mm -hmm. I think the way to think about this is, okay, we know that there are migrations happening in this hemisphere, in the world, right? What are we doing to ensure that we have the infrastructure, the services, um, to welcome folks, to welcome folks, if and when they decide that St. Louis is a place that they want to come home, and how can we ensure that the St. Louis region is a welcoming region for all immigrants, um, regardless of status? To go back to your uh, question about how this might impact um, our agencies, right? Um, I think it's important to, uh, and it's not just our agencies; it's the St. Louis community writ large, right? Um, it's important to remember that people aren't just, um, you know, one more, num- uh, one more digit, if you will, in in a, in a census um, survey, and they're not just one more uh, pair of hands for the labor market, right? People bring their full humanity. Um, that includes their gifts, their talents, also traumatic experiences that they've encountered, right? And so when they come here, right, it is incumbent upon us to really ensure that we are responding um, to all of these needs and seeing uh, immigrants in their full humanity. Mm -hmm. So we are having a conversation that many people are going to hear. I guess if you could say one thing about what you wish people better understood about immigrants, what is it that you would say at this point in time, Carlos? Yeah, I think as simple as immigration, right, especially immigration um, that comes through the U.S.-Mexico border is not a issue or dynamic phenomenon that happens elsewhere, but people... um, find their way to St. Louis and are part of our communities. Um, And we have to think about ways to ensure that this is a welcoming community for all, regardless of status. Mm -hmm. Chris? I think from a legal perspective, just understanding it's not as easy as just filing an application for someone to get their papers. It's not that people don't want to to apply for different benefits for which they're eligible. It's that sometimes it's a system that's hard to access. And so just understanding that that it can't just be getting in line because there is no line. Mm -hmm. And Sarah? Yeah, I just want to go back to the point where um, immigrants are humans just like anybody else, and we tend to kind of boil it down to good, bad, legal, legal, documented, undocumented, or whatever the terms we might use. Um, And each person, regardless of their status, regardless of where they're born, holds 
a wealth of gifts to give to our community. And um, I think that just thinking about, just being more nuanced and allowing ourselves to kind of be open to that and those gifts will be really beneficial for St. Louis. Carlos, Sarah, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.